All right, welcome back. It is now October the 9th. It's Monday, and it's, this is the Buddy Deal Show. Uh, yeah, missed out on Friday. Uh, just had some stuff I had to do, but we're back for Monday, and we're here to recap you on what happened on the weekend. So over the weekend, there's a lot of stuff that happened. We have college football, big games in college football. You had all the NFL games on Sunday, and you also had a lot of um, MLB games and the divisional games. Um, so, but we're going to start with college football. First game we're going to talk about is the Red River rivalry. Uh, this was a great game. It was. It came down to the wire. It was back and forth all the way. Oklahoma jumped out quick uh, to a seven nothing lead thanks to a Quinn Ewers interception. Uh, then Texas answered back with a block punt. Uh, Dylan Gabriel played really well this game. He was twenty three of thirty eight for two eighty five and a touchdown. He also had another a rushing touchdown and one hundred thirteen yards on the ground, which is really really a lot for a guy who hasn't really is not necessarily run, known to run the ball a ton. Uh, Quinn Ewers struggled early, like I said. Uh, but he ended up coming back playing pretty solidly the rest of the game. He was 31 of 37 uh, for 346 with one touchdown. He had two interceptions and a lost fumble, though, which really kind of put the Longhorns in a hole. This was, a, like I said, a great game. Uh, Texas has the ball tied up at, at uh, 27. Uh, driving late in the game, uh, they were able to kick a field goal to go up 32 27 with about three minutes left. Um, Oklahoma goes down the field in four plays and 70 something yards and scores a touchdown to take the lead and go to win and end up winning 34 30. Uh, this is a huge game for Oklahoma. Uh, this was both teams were undefeated coming into this game. That means now Oklahoma is in the driver's seat in the Big 12. Uh, Texas needs now they need some help just because that was their really that was their opportunity to get a game up on Oklahoma and everybody else. And going into this game, everybody thought that Texas was a team out of the Big 12 that was going to make a run to the playoff. But now it may be Oklahoma. I don't know what all they have left on their schedule, uh, but they are definitely in the driver's seat ahead of Texas. Another big game to watch out for was Alabama at Texas A&M. A lot of people thought A&M was about to, were about to, was about to pull the upset. Um they had opportunities. They were had they had the lead at halftime. They had they looked like they were absolutely dominating the first half. Um, they held Alabama to only twenty three rushing yards the entire game. Jalen Milrow played solidly. He really did. This is where I think this is what you should be scared of if you're not pulling for Alabama. In the last three weeks, Milrow has really figured it out against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and now Texas A and M. Ever since they benched him for the at the USF game. He's figured it out. He was 21 of 33 for 321 yards, three touchdowns. He did have one interception. Uh, but he's figured out that his main guy is Jermaine Burt. Uh, Jermaine Burt going into the game was had the lowest, like the third lowest um, reception yards for a team's leading receiver in the entire country. They Milrow did a lot to fix that. He went to him nine times for 197 yards and two touchdowns. He is their number one receiver, and I think if he – He's starting to get comfortable get getting the ball to him, and which is a scary thing for the rest of the SEC, especially. Max Johnson for Texas A&M didn't play extremely well. He was 14 of 25 for 239, a one touchdown, one interception. However, he played good in the first half, and he gave the Aggies a lead. Uh, there were 
a couple of coaching decisions that uh, that were questionable, especially towards the end of that first half. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, there's a couple couple coaching issues that happened this over the weekend. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Alabama won 26 to 20. That means that they now have a solid hold on the SEC West at the moment. They do have Tennessee coming up next week, or no, in two weeks. Uh, that should be a, a really fun one. Uh, they're running out of opportunities to lose in my book, but we'll see what happens. The other team out of the SEC West has been right there with them. LSU uh, went to Missouri. Missouri put up a great fight. Uh, they actually had the game. They had a lead at, uh, late in the game. Just one that were not able to um, pull it out. They were up 32-25, and then LSU went on a roll. Uh, Jaden Daniels played really well again. He was 15-21 for 259, three touchdowns. Uh, he also ran for 130 yards and another touchdown. Uh, Logan Diggs ran the ball really well for LSU as well. He had 134 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Malik Neighbors is looking like that NFL receiver that everybody's expecting him to be. He had six catches for 146 yards and another t- and a touchdown. Brady Cooks looked really good this year. Uh, once again, he did again this week. He threw for 411 yards. He had threw two touchdowns. He but did enter, have in two interceptions. Uh, Cody Schrader, Missouri's running back, ran all over the LSU defense, which is uh, not that surprising anymore because LSU's defense is is really struggling right now. He had 13 carries for 114 yards and three touchdowns. But LSU was able to pull this one, pull away with this one, and now that puts Missouri. They have their first loss, um, puts them a game behind Georgia now, uh, because this is the other game that we were talking about that might be a good game. It was Georgia Kentucky. Uh, Georgia was hosting Kentucky. This right here, that score is scary to everybody because it. Everybody was. Con- Worried like maybe Georgia is beatable. Maybe that they maybe their offense isn't that great. Maybe their defense isn't as good as we thought it was. Well, the offense might have figured something out because they put up 51 on a good Kentucky team. Carson Beck was 28 of 35 for 389, four touchdowns. He did have one interception. Once again, his favorite target was Brock Bowers. He had seven catches for 132 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that Carson Beck starting to get really comfortable back there, which is a scary sight for the rest of the college football, especially the SEC. Uh, this now Missouri will play Georgia in a couple weeks, and I guess that'll be their opportunity to upset the dogs and see what can happen in the East. But I just Georgia looks like they're not going to have a test until maybe Ole Miss, but that's probably not going to happen either. But because Ole Miss will, we have to go there. Who knows? But another top 25 matchup. You got Notre Dame traveling to number 25, Louisville. Uh, Maybe we were a little too quick to say that Notre Dame was really good uh, because Jack Plummer and Jawar Jordan ate up the um, fighting Irish defense. Uh, Jack Plummer was 17 and 24 with 145 yards and a touchdown. Jawar Jordan, their running back. Had 21 carries for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Sam Hartman just didn't play very well. Uh, He had zero interceptions coming into the game. He left Louisville with three. Uh, 
they were not able to really get anything going on the ground. They only had 44 rushing yards. Uh, this is a team that we thought early in the year uh, that was had just a stable of running backs that were really solid, all, all of them, and they'd be able to run the ball on probably anybody. And they weren't able to really on Ohio State, and now they weren't able to on Louisville. And that was one reason why Louisville walked away uh, with a 33-20 win. Uh, that's a big win for Louisville. That will jump them up really high in the polls. That's loss from Notre Dame is essentially going to uh, drop them out of playoff contention. That is their second loss. That's that's pretty much it for Notre Dame. Uh, in Oxford, uh, I, I told you that this game was going to be stupid. I was right. Uh, Jackson Dart was injured on the second play of the game. I don't know the extent of the injury because he played the rest of the game. Uh, but they said it was some lower body injury. I'm not sure. Uh, but he ended up 16 of 25 for 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the running backs for Ole Miss. This week it was not Quinshawn Jenkins. It was Ulysses Bentley the fourth that really had a great game. He had 13 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. He really put the game away for the Rebs. K.J. Jefferson uh, was not really able to get anything going on the ground especially. Uh, but he threw the ball relatively well other than about two throws, but really that caused the game. He threw for 250 yards and two touchdowns, but he had two really big interceptions. One of those was returned to about the four-yard line, which Ole Miss scored. The other was at the very end of the game, which sealed the game for the Rebs. Uh, the Ole Miss defense, after getting absolutely torched by LSU, really stepped up. Uh, they held Arkansas at only 36 rushing yards. They had five sacks, and they had two turnovers, which they have not done all year this year. Uh, so Ole Miss was able to walk away with a 27-20 to 20 win. Uh, it was tough. Ole Miss was down three going in the fourth quarter. Bat found a way to come back. And uh, that was a good win going into the bye week for Ole Miss. Uh, Need to get healthy in a lot of ways, in a lot of spaces. Uh, Trey Harris was also injured again. So he needs to get healthy. Dart needs to get healthy, and a couple other guys do as well. But Ole Miss is now 5-1 and one with an opportunity uh, to be in contention towards the end. Uh, they need some help from Alabama, and, but we, there's still opportunities out there for Ole Miss. Uh, going out west, this is one thing I'm really going to miss next year because as of right now, like we, we all know, uh, there's only two Pac-12 teams next year. But this the Pac-12 after the dark was is so much fun because crazy stuff happens all the time. Uh, this was one of them. USC and Arizona. Uh, you, it seemed like no, neither team wanted to win. Caleb uh, Williams had another good game. He only threw for 219 yards, which is low for his normal. He only threw for one touchdown, but he ran for three. He had four total touchdowns again, but he got outplayed by Noah Fafita. Uh, Arizona's quarterback, who's actually their backup because Jaden Delora was, did not go that night. Uh, he was 25 of 35 for 303 and five touchdowns. He did have one interception, but this game took three overtimes to end. Um, USC had a great opportunity to win the game at the end of re- regulation, uh, but what came after with the last two plays for the Trojans was a complete disaster. Uh, they, there was about seven, 14 seconds left, I think, uh, and Caleb Williams tried to hand the ball off to the running back. He tried 
to pull it last second, fumbled. USC was able to recover it, ran up quickly, spiked the ball, uh, tried to kick a game winning field goal from like 20 yards. It was a quick, it was a short one, it was a chip shot. And it was a horrible snap. Holder had to stand up, catch it, try to put it down. The kicker had no opportunity to even kick it, and they had to go to overtime. But here's where I'm about to get probably on a rant. So, Arizona scored. Uh, actually, USC got the ball first in the first overtime and then scored, kicked an extra point. Arizona got the ball, scored on one play. This is where, in my opinion, you go for two. You win the game, you lose the game right there. Be done with it because the overtime rules nowadays are – I don't like them and, it's, I don't, and anything can happen. But they chose not – they chose to kick the extra point. And he went into the second overtime. Both teams score. Both teams fail to get the two-point conversion. And then after the third overtime now where you only have the two-point conversion play, USC got it, Arizona did not, and the Trojans were able to walk out of there with a win. But I do have some thoughts on something. And it's not just Arizona. It is, but it's coaching in general in the NCAA. The Arizona game, they chose not to go for two in the first overtime when they had the USC defense on the ropes. And the USC defense is very liable at the best. And that's the best way of saying it. But they chose not to go for two. They were playing, almost it seemed like they were playing not to lose. Another situation was the Texas A&M game. They had the ball. They got a stop from Alabama with about a minute and a half left in the first half. They were up seven with two timeouts. Chose not to call either of the timeouts to stop the clock before Alabama punted the ball away. Alabama punted it with about 40 seconds, 43 seconds left, and, and there were the ball went in the end zone, so the A&M got the ball on the 20. And they, they ran one play and took the took the game into the halftime. They just they didn't try to score at all. Uh, they had an opportunity to go and extend the lead because they would have had the ball if they would have called one timeout. They would have had the ball with about a minute and 25 seconds left on the 20-yard line, needing to go, I mean, 80 for a touchdown. If they wanted to kick a field goal, that works too. But, I mean, with the way that the college game is, now in the last two minutes, the clock does stop after first downs. And you also had another timeout. That's every bit of 10 plays if you wanted it. And they chose not to. So I thought that Arizona and Texas A&M were both playing not to lose, and they ended up losing, and that's what they get for it. But that has nothing on what Mario Cristobal did. Because Mario Cristobal, I don't know if he was not play, he was playing not to lose. I don't know if he was playing to be aggressive. I don't know what his deal was. But Miami has the ball with 45 seconds left as the clock is running. Georgia Tech is out of timeouts. It is third down, which means that all you had to do is take a knee and the clock will run out. Instead, Cristobal decides to get the Miami offense to run a play. They run the ball up the middle. The ball is stripped. Georgia Tech recovers. And then about two plays later, Georgia Tech scores a 48-yard touchdown with one second left to beat the Hurricanes. It was one of the worst coaching decisions I've ever seen, and apparently this wasn't even Cristobal's first time doing it. 
He did the same thing back at Oregon whenever they played Stanford in 2018. They ran the ball instead of taking a knee when they had an opportunity to. They fumbled again, and they ended up losing the game. In my opinion, you should be fired on the spot for that. You remember when Lane Kiffin got fired on the tarmac? I don't think he would have, should have made it to the tarmac. He should have been fired walking out of the stadium. That was ridiculous. That was awful for those kids because they were that was they had a game won, and now they have to lose. They had to lose that game because of really a poor job on their coaching staff, especially from the head coach Mario Cristobal. So, other than that, that's about it on college football. Let's go to the NFL. The Bears won their first game since week six in 2022. Justin Fields, 15 and 29, 282 yards and four touchdowns. DJ Moore is a great person to have on your fantasy team. Eight catches for 230 yards and three touchdowns. The Bears won 42-20. We're going to roll through these right here. The Jaguars and Bills in London. Uh, Jaguars were able to knock off the Bills. The Jaguars are a good team in London. Watch out for them. Trevor Lawrence, 25 of 37 for 315 and a touchdown. He would run for his life all day, but he did make enough plays happen. Travis Etienne, he had 26 carries for 136 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Allen was 27 of 40 for 359, two touchdowns and one interception. The Bills, after a great game rushing last week against the Dolphins, were able only able to run for 29 yards. That is a problem. They've got to fix that if they want to be able to contend in the AFC East and anywhere in the AFC. The Titans and the Colts, uh, the Colts were able to pull out a win. Anthony Richardson was injured again. This is the second time he's been hurt this year. Garner Minshew comes in. He goes 11 of 15 for 155 yards, helps the Colts lead a game-winning drive. Zach Moss was huge in this game. He was 23. He had 23 carries for 165 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Jonathan Taylor made an appearance. He had six carries for 18 yards in his first game back this year. That could be a big deal for especially fantasy leagues and their Colts going forward. Ravens and the Steelers. Uh, the Ravens had the game one. They were up 10-8 to eight after a safety and a couple field goals from the Steelers. And then Kenny Pickett finds George Pickens on a long touchdown. Pickett, Pickett ended the day 18-32 for 224 and a touchdown. George Pickens had 130 yards receiving plus that long touchdown that can't, uh, put the game away. And what really put the game away was T.J. Watt. He had a game, a sack on fourth down with the Ravens with a couple seconds left and was able to put it away. He also had a fumble recovery. The Bengals and the Cardinals. Last week, Jamar Chase said some uh, in other ways that he was always open. He used a couple other words, but he said that he was always open. He must have been right. Joe Burrow went off with Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had 15 catches for 192 yards and three touchdowns. Sounds like he was always open. Joe Burrow got back on track and started the Bengals with a 34-20 win over the Cardinals. The Chiefs and the Vikings. The Chiefs had a quick scare right before halftime. Travis Kelsey went down with an injury. looked like it was his ankle. It twisted in the turf. A lot of people weren't happy with the turf right now, but uh, – they, he was able to come back and have a solid game. Patrick Mahomes was 31-41 to 41 for 281 yards and two touchdowns. He is the first quarterback to defeat all other 31 teams in the NFL before the age of 30. He just keeps breaking records every week. Travis Kelsey had 10 catches in, for 67 yards and a touchdown after he came back. Kirk Cousins was 29-47 for 284 and two touchdowns. Played really solidly. Uh, the problem is that there was a pass interference flag that was picked up on fourth down in the end zone when the Vikings were down seven with about five minutes left, and I don't know why. There was no real explanation as to why the flag was picked up. 
it was really unfortunate for the Vikings and they were because they were not able to score again to tie the game up. The game of the week was the Cowboys at the 49ers. We thought it was a game of the week. 49ers absolutely rolled 42 to 10. Brock Purdy is the real deal, maybe, against this great Cowboys defense. He went 17 of 24 for 252 yards and four touchdown passes. Three of those touchdowns were to his tight end, George Kittle. On the flip side, Dak Prescott really did not play well. He was only 14 of 24 for 153 yards, only threw one touchdown and had three interceptions. He was complaining a lot of news about him throwing interceptions, and he kind of gave them reason to believe that he would do that. Uh, the defense gave up 42 points and 421 yards. This is the team that led the league in scoring defense coming into this game. On the other side, Fred Warner for the San Francisco became the first 49 players, 49ers player with a sack, interception, and a forced fumble in the same game since 2013. This is Dallas's worst loss to San Francisco in franchise history. It was a really embarrassing game for the Cowboys, and that's most you, that's the best you can say about it, especially after Jerry Jones earlier in the week tried to say that the NFC would run through Dallas. It doesn't seem that way at all, and it looks like the, everything is going through San Francisco and maybe even Philadelphia. So Monday night football tonight, you have the Packers at the Raiders. The Raiders are favored by two points. That game is at 7.15 Eastern time, I mean on 7.15 Central time. On the networks of ESPN, ESPN2, and ABC, the Manning cast will be on ESPN2, and traditional broadcasts of the game are on ESPN and ABC. Uh, That's about it for the NFL. Let's get to baseball. So, over the weekend, the ALDS and the NLDS started. Uh, There was a couple games. All four four series were played on Saturday, and only the ALDS was played on Sunday. We'll start with the NLDS, though. On Saturday, the Phillies were able to shut out the Braves uh, three to nothing. Uh, Bryce Harper was two for three with a home run and RBI. He had two. He scored two runs. JT Real Muto uh, was able to drive in a run on a very controversial catcher's interference call. Uh, a lot of question marks as to why it was called. What happened? If he whether or not his bat touched the catcher's mitt or not, but they called that it did, and it was able to score a run. Spencer Strider took the loss, even though he went seven innings, only gave up five hits and one run. He had eight strikeouts, and he had two walks as well. This is the first time that Atlanta has been shut out since May. Since May. It's been 125 games. That is the second longest streak in MLB history that they were of teams from not being shut out, and they were shut out the very first game of the play, in the postseason. Not ideal. The Phillies were able to take home field advantage here. The Braves would need to come back and find a way to win game two here tonight. The Diamondbacks took the hot bats from the wild card series and brought them to L.A. They jumped out quickly and hard on Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw did not only recorded one out in the game. He gave up six hits and six earned with a walk. Uh, Merrill Kelly for the Diamondbacks went six in the third, gave up three hits, did not give up a run. Had five strikeouts, two walks. He got the win for the Diamondbacks. Tommy Pham went off. He went four for five. He had a home run, an RBI, and he scored three runs. And then our man Corbin Carroll, two for five with a home run, two RBIs, two runs. They put up, they hit four home runs in the game and destroyed the Dodgers 11 to two. 
So that game is going to be an interesting one. The Dodgers need to figure it out. They'll be back tonight. We'll talk about that in just a second. In the ALDS, game one, the Rangers and the Orioles, that game was delayed due to a rain delay at first. But once they started playing it, it was a close one all the way to the end. Josh Young hit a home run. He was one for four with an RBI. Evan Carter for the Rangers was one for two with an RBI, a double, and two walks. Unfortunately for the Orioles, they were not able to score enough runs uh, to help their pitcher because Kyle Bradish pitched really well, um, or pretty well. He went four and two-thirds. He gave up seven hits, two earned runs. He had nine strikeouts, which was a lot of a lot of strikeouts for less than five innings, and he had two walks as well. He took the loss in this game. So that went the, – the Rangers led the series one nothing right there, and then yesterday happened. Uh, the Rangers put up a ton of runs. The Orioles scored a lot late, uh, but not enough. Mitch Garver was the one that broke it open. He had a grand slam. He had five RBIs and two runs. Leody Tavares also had a solid day. He was one for three with a double and two RBIs. He scored three runs. Corey Seager set he broke he made major league history yesterday. He went 0 for 1. He made major league history. So uh, I'm just kidding. He had five walks in a game. First time in MLB postseason history that one player was had five walks in a game. He also scored two runs. Aaron Hicks for the Orioles had a solid day. He was two for five with a home run, including one in the ninth inning. He had five RBIs. Gunnar Henderson may be starting to figure it out. This is some good thing for Baltimore. He was two for four with a home run RBI. The only good news you can take for Baltimore is the fact that they were able to score three runs in the bottom of the ninth off of the closer for the Rangers, which might give them a little bit of momentum moving into going to Texas. However, the Rangers lead this series 2 to nothing as they go back to Arlington. In the other ALDS series, you have the Twins and the Astros. Justin Verlander was excellent. He went six innings, four hits, zero earned, six strikeouts, and three walks. He got the win. It really is nice to have a veteran like him in your uh, back pocket. Jose Altuve hit a home run on the very first pitch that the Astros saw in the postseason. Jordan Alvarez had two home runs of his own. Uh, he's just a home run hitting machine. The Astros were able to win this one 6-4. to four. Uh, Game two last night, the Twins answered back. Uh, they were able to win this game 6-2 to two off of a strong performance by Pablo Lopez, who picked up his second win in the postseason. He went seven strong, gave up six hits, no earned runs, one walk, and he gave up. He had seven strikeouts. Carlos Correa had a great game. He had good defensive plays. He played well offensively. He was three for four with two doubles and three RBIs. He also passed Derek Jeter and David Ortiz, and he tied David Justice for third most postseason RBIs in MLB history, uh, looking to pass David Justice here um, in tomorrow night. Kyle Farmer had a home run as well for the Twins. Framber Valdez took the loss. He, he went four and a third, seven hits, five earned, five strikeouts, and three walks. The Twins really were hot early and did not let up. Jordan Alvarez had another home run. And that's his third of the postseason. He had two RBIs. That was the only bright spot for the Astros. Uh, tonight, this is a game that really isn't going to be important for the Braves. Uh, this game is game two. This game is at 5.07 Central Time on TBS between the Phillies and the Braves. 
Uh, like I said, the Phillies have a 1-0 series lead. <clears throat> the probable pitchers in this one is going to be Zach Wheeler for the Phillies, who pitched really well the other night on Tuesday against the Marlins. He went six and two-thirds, gave up five hits, one earned run, had eight strikeouts. For the Braves, it's going to be their guy. Max Freed has been their best pitcher. However, he missed three months in the year due to a forearm strain. He missed. He's left in May and returned back in August. But, however, when he did pitch this year, he was 8-1 and one with a 2.55 ERA. He needs to have a really good game for the Braves. In the other NLDS matchup, you have the Diamondbacks at the Dodgers. This is game two as well. That game is going to be at 8.07 p.m. Central Time on TBS. Uh, potential starters for here, uh, Zach Gallant, who pitched on Wednesday. It's a quick rest. Um, he won against the Brewers. He went six strong, five hits, two earned, four strikeouts, and he had three walks. Uh, he is their ace as well. So this is a great opportunity for the Diamondbacks to jump and get a 2-0 series lead on the Dodgers. Bobby Miller is going to be the guy for the Dodgers. He went 11-4 and this year with a 3-7-6 ERA. And other than that, that's about it. There was a lot to cover this weekend, and we are going to get you ready um, Tomorrow, for what ha- we're going to get you recapped on what happened in the NLDS tonight and the ALDS tomorrow night. Also, Monday night football tonight, plus tomorrow's top 10 Tuesdays. Uh, expect to be here for the rest of the week. Uh, so, I hope everybody has a great week. Everybody have a great Monday, and we will see you all again tomorrow.